0: All right, I'm here with um, Jeremy Hammond. Again, he's been on the show before. Independent journalist, investigative journalist, writes about the Middle East, writes about a lot about vaccines, and has been writing a lot lately about um, COVID-19, about the masks, about everything. Um, welcome back, thanks thanks for coming. Um, and I really, I, I wanted to talk to you today about, because you were on a podcast, someone else's podcast um, a couple few weeks ago, And you talked about the issue of authoritarianism and how, you know, quite apart from, you know, the severity of the illness or whether lockdowns work, whether masks work, all that stuff, there's this whole question of should the state be the one to be making these decisions? So um, what is your what's your position there?
1: Yeah, I think absolutely not. The state has no role in dictating, for example, whose jobs are essential or non-essential. I mean, this is such radical authoritarianism, just just that aspect of the lockdowns. Uh, and it it really blows my mind that there's just this general complacency about it, that people just, you know, the population by and large has just accepted this. And and, and not only accepted it, but it's very much, you know, the, the film, the matrix is such a, a good allegory um, where you were know, like, they'll, they'll fervently, um, you know, like fight to keep this regime in place. You know, like people are um, very much in favor of, of these like authoritarian measures. And they think that the government is just protecting them and keeping them safe. Um, Without considering the, the the you know the the long term consequences of, of just surrendering your freedoms, that are so hard fought to, to be gained uh, in the first place, and um, it, I, I think it is just a huge danger with this. And, and it's one thing in the U.S., but you know just the the, the uh, lockdown regimes around the world, you you have very much authoritarian regimes who are just being given this green light to you know even more excessively um, violate the rights of of their of their citizens. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, it, it, there's a real risk, there's a real danger. We should be talking about this. We should be having this conversation of whether, you know, like you said, quite apart from the questions of do lockdowns work, are they effective? Do masks work? Are they effective? These types of questions. Um, there's a there's a there's a serious discussion to be had about you know the role of the state and whether it's appropriate for for um, the government to intervene in these ways and just be dictating to people what they can and cannot do. Um,
0: yeah, what's what's crazy to me is, and I know you and I have both spent time in Asia, and um, so I'm very familiar with how, what had happened um, in China with the Cultural Revolution, the Great Leap Forward, their whole experiment because it was an experiment in the 20th century. The whole, I mean, large parts of the world went through this massive, deadly experiment with communism, with total state rule, total authoritarianism and so we know the we know what that results in you know we already we don't have to do this again we we shouldn't have to you know say oh maybe this maybe it'll work to put some central authority in control and let's just see you know let's see see what goes wrong yeah. um why do you think why do you think it is that so many people you know in in america in particular cuz that's where we are why is it that so few people are questioning that underlying assumption that the state needs to do something that the state is the one that should be Directing all of this
1: Yeah, that's a really good question. Um, you might brought up China I just want to make a comment real quick before I answer that Uh, that's actually reminds me of kind of what got me started like really focusing intently on the whole the local whole pandemic um, which was the when the WHO, the world health organization like held up china's response as a model for the rest of the world and i was just like oh boy <laughs> i need to shift my focus now and to and, and start dealing with this because this is this threat is coming um but anyways yeah so why is that um you know it, it, in, in my assessment it just has to do with what i call the state religion a term i borrow from noam chomsky um and and just people's he was speaking specifically in the context of, of uh, the role of intellectuals when he made that, um, use that phrase, but, uh, it applies to the population in general, that people just have this belief, this faith in government and in the, in the role of the state to take care of them. And they just have this idea of government being this benevolent force for good. And, uh, and that politicians sometimes do wrong things, but, you know, generally they have good intentions and, you know, public health officials, they want to take care of us and, politicians who are listening to these scientists like Anthony Fauci who you know we're supposed to listen to these guys we have to listen to the infectious disease experts and only the infectious disease experts right yes. we can't listen to anyone else anyone who wants to talk about economics and the harms of lockdowns like we're not supposed to like get expert opinions you know um, about you know with people with experience in economics or, or any other fields that we ought to be considering you know <laughs> we ought to be considering the economic harms um, and it, not just in terms of dollars, but in terms of health and lives, because there's costs uh, in health and lives. The U.N. has estimated that the, the U.N. itself has come out and said um, that the, the lockdown measures could be doing more harm than good. And, and, and they're talking about the impact. Of hundreds of thousands of excess deaths in mortality. Sorry, I may have them.
0: Yeah, you just got um, out for a second hear. there.
1: If you can hear me. If you can't hear me, let me know.
0: Okay, I, get, My I
1: can Sorry about that. But you know, the excess deaths, infant mortality, also just you know malnutrition and wasting. Right, uh, T- you know, ten th- an additional the- ten
0: thousand a month is what I heard. Um, which, which is that's right,
1: ten thousand a month.
0: It's, it's unfathomable, you know, and that and that people aren't you know rioting in the streets over that. It just bobbles, bobbles yeah. my mind.
1: People aren't hearing that. I mean, they're not being told. I mean, there's these UN reports. There's been several that, that I've read, um, it, you know, and, and also, you know, in The Lancet, there was an article uh, about it um, you know, related to the to the UN um, estimates and things. And, but the, you know, you don't read about that in The New York Times. The New York Times isn't talking about that.
0: <laughs> yeah, just <laughs> and, like and, they and, didn't and talk about about the Soviet, you know, the, the famine of the Ukraine, you know.
1: And it's the thing, because, you know, the, the media is generally just fulfilling that function of manufacturing, again, to borrow from Noam Chomsky, to manufacturing consent for lockdown policies. They're, they're doing public policy advocacy. And so New York Times from the beginning, like other mainstream media, I, I pointed to the New York Times because they're kind of like the, the you know, the, the role model for the rest of the media, the trendsetter, is America's newspaper of record. And, and that's just the function that they've served uh, is to, you know, they've taken up this position that we have to be you're listening to guys like Fauci and locking down and shutting down the economy and, uh, and you know, keeping schools closed and all, all of this, wearing the masks. And so they have a, a political agenda. They have a policy that they're advocating. And so they're not doing journalism. They're doing policy advocacy. Yeah. And, yeah. and so they're, they're really, you know, trying to create, there's all this fear-mongering, alarmist type of sensationalist reporting about it that really gets people, you know, it creates that mass sense of fear and panic then, you know, is is why I think people give their consent. And then they just trust the government. So and one thing I believe what the media tells them, mm-hmm. um, unfortunately. Yeah. And then the second thing is they, they tend to trust government officials. They see someone like Anthony Fauci and they think, oh, he's he's a trustworthy guy. He's a government official. He's a public health official. We ought to listen to him. Um, and, and I'm not saying we shouldn't. I, you know, I think we should take everyone's perspectives and opinions into, into, into
0: account. But I think they mean something um, different by listening to them. Than- guys like that than what you mean.
1: Right. We should listen to, you know, all kinds of range of broad, a range of opinions, not just, uh, you know, these guys saying, oh, we're going to lock down and nobody else's opinion matters. (laughs) Right. (laughs)
0: Right. Do you think, I mean, when I look at this, because you and I have been, have been looking at, you know, the problems in the media for a while, especially with regard to vaccine Mm -hmm. coverage. And it's so clear. Once you start looking at something at, at coverage of a specific issue, whether it's, you know, imperialism or you know war, war in the Middle East or or vaccines, you start to see the deception going on you know if you look closely enough and you know of course most people don't but now that the whole world is watching media coverage of this virus and of the lockdowns, to my mind it's shining a light on the dishonesty of the mainstream media. And it's becoming more and more clear. There's, I just posted something today about how uh, the Guardian. It looks like the Guardian is now planning to do a smear campaign on the scientists who signed the the declaration um, coming out against the lockdowns. And so, to, to me, when I when I see this happening under such a big spotlight, I think, God, you know, this has got to be it. People have to see now. They have to recognize that what's what the mainstream media is doing is not journalism do you are you optimistic that that's gonna wake more people up
1: i, I actually am yeah i think there's a you know if you look at it you know the has the half the glasses have full kind of perspective um there's a lot of things you know like for example the fact that it's now in the mainstream there's like a mainstream discussion about natural herd immunity yeah. That never existed yeah. before, right? I mean, that never happened. And there was never any discussion about that whatsoever. And now it's just like, just, you know, everyone knows it's just accepted
0: suddenly science. it exists. That's
1: the natural course of an epidemic, right? That You reach the herd immunity threshold and then the epidemic goes away. And there's this natural wave and it, everyone knows that now. And it's just like common knowledge. <laughs> yeah. Know? That it's was
0: amazing. Never the
1: case before. Um, or antibody, you know, the function of antibodies and antibodies aren't the be all end all, all of immunity, right? Right. I mean, suddenly T cells exist. T cells exist. Yeah, there's this thing called cellular immunity. Like people know this now, and like we've been trying to have you know you get this information out for how long and, and right, right. Struggle. You get people to be aware of these things, and now suddenly it's just it's part of the mainstream discourse. So there are really some positive developments for sure, and there are reasons to be optimistic. That said, we have a long, hard fight ahead of us because we really yeah. need to be. Every one of us just needs to be resisting and fighting this COVID-19 authoritarianism with everything we've got, because it really is a serious risk, I think, to the entire global population.
0: And the other thing that I notice is, so you've got, there seems to be, you know, a huge portion of the population that is gung-ho for authoritarianism. They just, it's it's in their their blood. It's, you know, whatever it is there, that's the way they approach life. Even um, I'm finding that even among people of more of a libertarian bent who are more skeptical of, of authority, more skeptical of the government, there's still this tendency to treat this to t- treat the whole question as if it's something that the government needs to make a decision about, either either have strong lockdowns or don't have you know, have less lockdowns, but that, but that some centralized authority is the one that needs to be making decisions. And I feel like that is, that's so become kind of the standard from which people, it's like it's this, this unspoken assumption that so many people have. And I feel like that's, that's the underlying assumption we need to go after because that's the whole problem. The whole problem is that everyone's looking for a centralized solution imposed by authority, by someone in authority, and that's the whole problem.
1: Right, and the reason that that doesn't work <laughs> is essentially the same reason why doesn't, socialism doesn't work. I mean, yeah. you, th- you think about why uh, central planning of the economy doesn't work. Well, is because government bureaucrats acting at best, you know, uh, making decisions at best arbitrarily, assuming good intentions, uh, don't know better than the market with its pricing system how to direct uh, scarce resources towards uh, productive ends as determined by the will of consumers. And it's the same thing with something like this, you know, like. The idea that bureaucrats, same thing with vaccines, there's this vaccine policy of, of one, you know, where they treat vaccination as a one size fits all policy, where there's no consideration for the need for an individual risk benefit analysis. And the, it's the same thing here with lockdown measures. The, the idea that bureaucrats and politicians in Washington or state capitals, like, have this omniscience and in, in, in this knowledge to be able to make decisions on behalf of every single other, you know, individual in the population without consideration for the individual circumstances. It's absurd. It's ludicrous. I mean, we, people ought to be laughing at that whole idea and, and mocking it because it's it's absurd. And yet, you know, people don't treat that as preposterous. People think that, oh, well, yeah, we really need these people to be telling us what to do because I wouldn't know what to do if, the, you know, some politician didn't tell me. Um, and you see in Sweden, uh, you know, where, where they didn't have these strict lockdowns. And yet it wasn't as though people just kept on (laughs) in their normal behavior. I mean, people, they, people change their behavior because why? Well, people know what's in their own best interest. So they take, they take reasonable precautions and things. Um, But, you know, if, if they have to work to make a living, to have a roof over their heads and feed their families, you know, they have that option to be able to just continue working and, and people can make their own, uh, you know, assessment about whether it's safe for them to go out, you know, if, if someone's working and they don't have, anyone in their household who's, you know, at high risk, nobody, you know, grandpa and grandma don't live with them. Uh, nobody with, you know, like comorbidities or other risk factors, um, you know, and they think there's no reason for me to stay at home and uh, there's no risk to anyone in my family and they, they want to go out and work. I mean, who, who is a politician to tell them, no, you're, you're non-essential. Your labor mm-hmm. is non-essential. We don't need you. you. You stay at home. I mean, this is absurd yeah um, but yeah there's this complacency and, and i I think it goes back to just people's faith and and, God and it's is.
0: it's crazy because you know from day one <clears throat> the government response has been so I mean inept doesn't even cover it you know from from the fiasco with testing, the fact that the CDC had a monopoly on you know who could who could do testing and who could have test kits and totally bungled that to you know these governors, Forcing patients with COVID-19 into nursing homes and into care centers where, I mean, if, if you or I had done that, we'd be on trial for murder right now. Right, right. And and the fact that they, you know, it's, and it's, and I could go down the whole list of all the things that they've done to make things worse. And yet there's still this trust. What's it going to take? I mean, if, if the, if the nursing home thing isn't enough to, to, make people realize, you know, this is what you get when you put someone, you know, with, with no accountability really in charge of making decisions over other people's lives, what's it going to take?
1: I wish I could answer that question. Yeah. I'm going to ask the same question. You know, I mean, that's a perfect example, the, the nursing, you know, New York state uh, telling nursing homes, you have to accept patients from, from hospitals. Um, Yeah. That's nothing short of really reckless, endangerment and, and homicide really um people should be held accountable i said cuomo's like praise as this great hero of the country you know for his for his mm-hmm. actions and if i don't know why more people can't see through that and say well wait a minute now this was a disaster <laughs> i mean there's more than i think there was more than 20 states i don't remember the, the, the number that's been a while since i looked at the data but i've written and written about this and uh, more than 20 states lockdown states that had, uh, more than 50% of the deaths in the state were nursing home residents, 50% or more. So it could be much, and some of them were considerably higher than that. Um, I mean, this is, this is just criminal and it is, it's such a, in your face example of how the lockdown measures totally failed. I mean, a sensible policy would have been, yeah, you, you, you you isolate people who are at risk and and try to protect them and, and, uh,
0: the, the one group, the one group that really should have been isolating from this.
1: Group, you know? and then Whereas everyone else, you know, free to go on about your lives, making behavioral changes and, and things, you know, yeah, because we do, there is a need to flatten a curve at the beginning. There was, there was that was the justification originally. The right, justification <laughs> two weeks. <laughs> yeah, that's what we were told. Um, it never went away. They shifted their criteria. Um, it's the testing like you brought up. But, you know, I mean, that would have been a sensible policy, like Britain's policy in the beginning, you know, before they, they, they before the before they went. came came yeah. uh, and essentially lockdown measures have done the exact opposite of that. You're, you're quarantining young, healthy people who are at low risk, who should be out, you know, who ext- extremely low risk, you know, less than we're told is the, the risk of the flu. I mean, if you're under 50, you're healthy. I mean, the risk is, is negligible. And uh, you know, those are exactly the, the people we want out, you know, like building population immunity. Which is ultimately what would protect the elder, you know, elderly people, right. Elderly right. So that eventually they can also come out and live their lives too and enjoy the, the you know, the, the final years of their lives. Um, whereas, you know, we're just, we just there's that opportunity cost of the lockdown. Um, whereas, you know, with Sweden, it, it by all appearances they have reached herd immunity, which they yeah. we were told that they can't is impossible. They, they they won't be able to do it.
0: Right. Um, right.
1: Because the science is suggesting that the herd immunity threshold is considerably lower. Than you know, like the sixty percent that you know Fauci and yep. the rest of them uh, like to tout, because they're not taking into account number one, they're not taking into account heterogeneity, heterogeneity in in transmission dynamics, and it's not true that everyone is like an equal uh, chance of transmitting, you yeah. know, to two or three other people. When they talk about the R naught and the reproduction number, it's just not the case that that you know most people, most people who are infected don't transmit to anyone. <laughs> You know, the, the zero people, whereas there are a certain individuals, a minority who are what what are known as super spreaders and, and they transmit to many people and they're super spreading events um, where people just cannot of conglomerate in close quarters and things. Um, and the second thing that they're not considering is the background immunity that we already have. And there's been many studies now talking about, the, the you know, the T cell immunity, as we brought up earlier, uh, and the, the role of T cells and, and um, you know, unrelated responses unrelated to to the antibodies uh, or responses other than antibodies in the immune system.
0: Well, and what's Um, interesting about that is that we're talking about T cells not specific to COVID-19, but T cells from previous coronaviruses. And so what that tells us is that the people who are best protected against COVID-19 are the ones who didn't go out and isolate them, you know, didn't isolate themselves, who went out and exposed themselves to pathogens, who, you know, maybe got sick, recovered, but that that's how the immune systems, I mean, this is such a beautiful example of, this is how your immune system strengthens itself mm-hmm. for future challenges, you know, not only for things it's encountered in the past, but for things coming that, that it hasn't yet encountered. So- right to me this is like this is one of the biggest stories out there and it's it really kind it's it's it sort of turns the whole pharmaceutical narrative on its head because we've been being told we've been told and especially now with with covid-19 you know the way to be healthy is to isolate yourself in your little bubble and don't touch anything and stay away from nature and don't kill
1: all the germs around right
0: kill all the <laughs> germs sanitize everything and don't be near other human beings i mean it's really it's like we've taken it to this, to this dystopian extreme, but that's sort of where that was the message all along is that nature is dangerous. Other human beings are dangerous and put up a barrier between yourself and nature. When in fact, what we're seeing is that people who are best protected did the opposite of that. Do, do you th- what do you, what do you think is going to happen with that narrative? Yeah, I think
1: hopefully this is, this will be kind of a paradigm shifting, uh, event in the end I am optimistic that there is a, a shift happening um where there's a the whole perspective like you, like you said the whole perspective that you know viruses and bacteria are the enemy and we must eradicate them you know never mind that you have more bacterial cells in your in your body than you do human cells so, you know never mind that we right. depend and we absolutely depend on our gut microbiome for survival. Like we couldn't we wouldn't be alive we you know if it wasn't for the bacteria in our gut. Uh, Never mind that 10% of our own DNA is viral in origin. Um, And there's more viruses in in the air at any given moment than you know.
0: Right. Somebody someone posted on Twitter today um reminded me of HG Wells War of the Worlds that the way that ended, spoilers for anyone who hasn't seen it. that the way it ended was, you know, the Martians came and they eradicated all the viruses, you know, almost all the viruses on Earth. They they cleansed it, but then they were defeated by the common cold, because they yeah. hadn't, they did, they had no exposure to it, and they had, they had no immunity built up. And it's kind of like that's that's sort of comparable to where we're at or, or where where that agenda would like to take us. Yeah,
1: and no, I'm I'm optimistic that. Of- people are awakening to the other perspective of, you know, we need to live in symbiosis with our environment and with our planet and and with nature. And, and we really are dependent on nature and there has to be a balance and we need to find and maintain that balance uh, for, for good health. And so you can't find good balance. It's like taking antibiotics, you know, there's a time and a place for that, but it's just so overused and you're just bombarding the good along with the bad uh, with with antibiotics. And and so you're creating this, you know, imbalance and this opportunity for then uh, pathogenic bacteria to kind of take over and, and you're just creating more problems in the long run in many cases and, um, or, the, you know, in, or the genetic pressure on, on pathogens to, to evolve and become potentially more virulent. And we've seen the rise of superbugs with antibiotics and mm-hmm. same thing can happen with bacteria and viruses with vaccine pressure. And, um, you know, so there's another perspective. There's a whole other paradigm of, you know, like, well, we need, we need to be, um, have these immune challenges uh, there's benefit. For example, having measles as, as a child is associated with mm-hmm. numerous health benefits, you know, like a reduced risk of uh, certain types of cancer or cardiovascular disease. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there are these protective, uh, there are survival benefits, you know, of of being exposed to pathogens and, and having that immune challenge. And um, and there's, yeah, like you said, there's this cross protective immunity. It appears um, from numerous studies now where, uh, you know, people who have experienced common cold have developed an immunity that is not only protective against that particular common human coronavirus, but also uh, evidently um, against SARS-CoV-2. And so uh, that's a really great example of how there's this opportunity, there's opportunity costs, you know, then with vaccination, because uh, like if you deprive yourself of of the opportunity to to acquire natural immunity, which is superior. I mean, I mean, there's really no question about that, that, um, Infection confers a superior immunity. Yeah. An example of that, again, with measles, is the inability of mothers today who were vaccinated uh, to confer passive maternal immunity to their children, where it was well established that before the vaccine, um, that's how infants were immune in front of measles, and that's why the death rate was uh, low in that group. And it was, uh, you know, generally children of school age you know, uh, that that were infected and dealt with it, and, and generally children of that age it's a generally mild infection. Whereas with adults and infants, it's, it's more, um, it's more.
0: And like now we're apos- seeing it more with, with infants and, and elderly because of that, because yeah. of the vaccine protection.
1: That's exactly why the rate of deaths, um, uh, the rate of death is actually higher today. If you look yeah. at the, uh, the, the case fatality rate, yeah. like the yeah. reported cases is actually increased over time. used to be, you know, like, um, well, it used to be one in ten thousand, but for reported cases, one in a um, thousand. And uh, if you include all deaths in the denominator, it's one in ten thousand or yeah. infections, as opposed to the case fatality rate, where it's reported cases. It was one in a thousand, but then it's increased now to it's like over three. Uh, actually, I ran data in for an article um, some time ago. I don't forget exactly, but it was it was actually higher than three. It was like three between three and five, as I recall. But it's it's risen significantly.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and that's the reason, because it shifted the risk burden away from children, and who was generally benign disease, and not to infants and adults. And so, that the, the risk is higher in the event of, ex, of exposure. Um, so there's these types of opportunity costs, and, and of course, policymakers never consider these things. And it's the same, you know, with these lockdown measures, and uh, they they don't consider I mean, if you read the Imperial College report that came out. In they March, said they explicitly they're, they're,
0: they're that they weren't considering,
1: considering it. The economic harms of this, we're not even taking that into account. But we're going to yeah. advise on this policy anyways. I mean, they right. don't even.
0: Well, and to me, that that gets to the heart of the question, which is that the people who have the power to m- implement things like lockdowns and shut other people's lives down, the only reason they have that power is because they're not accountable for the outcome of that. You know, whatever the costs are, whether it's, you know, 10,000 children starving to death every month or people's businesses going under or, you know, what all these costs, you know, Alzheimer's and dementia deaths are rise or like i think doubled or something they're much higher than they normally are suicides all these things all these real costs that are borne by us you know they're borne by normal people put on us by these people who don't have accountability for their actions and i feel like that's kind of the single most important idea for people to grasp because this this Irrational faith in the state to be able to fix things to do the right thing to be something we can trust It's so backwards Because you're trusting this entity that has no accountability for what it creates in the world And I just I don't I don't get how more people don't recognize that
1: Yeah, the lack of accountability is is really an important point to emphasize for sure um, I should mention here in Michigan, the Supreme Court, by the way, uh, has, has um, thrown out is uh, has, has ruled that uh, the governor's, Governor Whitmer's executive orders have all been unconstitutional.
0: I saw that. So now what does that mean, though? Does that mean they have to stop? I mean, how, how does that work? Because, you know, a, a lot of a lot of people are talking about similar lawsuits against their their state governments. So now, what happens? Do, do the lockdowns have to end? Who enforces that?
1: Well, she, of course, is arguing that there's like some period of time before the, <laughs> the, the ruling comes into effect, and so for for now, her, her orders are still in, in place. And then, uh, but of course, that's an opinion of hers. Right. I mean, it, no, it, it's null and void. Her her executive orders are they're unconstitutional. They're unlawful. They're not. They're null and void. So. Okay,
0: but here's the thing. So. Here in California, a lot of people have pointed out that the governor's orders, the lockdown orders, the mask orders, he doesn't actually have the power to to dictate those things. Um, there's nothing lawful about them. There's no law on the books saying you have to wear a mask and all this stuff. The problem is that businesses are still subject to their licensing boards or to the city Council or whoever it is that gives them permission to operate. And so... They're afraid they're not going to go against the orders because then the city will come in and say, oh, you know, for whatever reason, we've decided not to renew your license. Or the licensing authority will come in and say, oh, we found a cockroach on your floor. You know, you've got to shut down. And so to me, that what this is really revealing is the malicious power of licensing. And yeah. my hope, because it's, it's a tool of control. I mean, we've seen it in medicine. We saw it in California. When, you know, before there was the crackdown on, on medical exemptions for vaccines in California, before the law was actually passed, um, the licensing boards, the, the state boards, were starting to crack down on doctors. They were just going in and, and persecuting them, basically. And it's 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 not new. I mean, it's happened in medicine in the past, and it happens all the time really it happens in in all industries and my hope is that more people start to see that now because licensing is really it's it's really saying you do business or you practice medicine at the whim of the state and is that really the world we want to live in
1: as richard pan characterized doctors that they're performing an administrative function for the state when they (laughs) write medical exemptions
0: Right. I mean,
1: that's not the practice. This is Richard Pan saying it's not me. That's not the practice of medicine. That's an administrative function for the state that they're performing. Um, Yeah. It it reminds me again of how um, Whitmer here in Michigan enforced her mask wearing order is by threatening businesses with fines and and Mm -hmm. potentially even losing their license or something if they don't enforce. So she basically deputizing Business owners and store owners to say we're going to have you enforce the law now because now you have to tell your customers um, that you know they have to they're not allowed in without a mask. You're telling your customers they have to follow my orders.
0: Right, right.
1: We're going to find you.
0: It's such a great racket for them because she doesn't even have to hire extra police officers or you know come up with some new entity to enforce that. It's just you know they find these ways to turn people against each other. She turned
1: them into law enforcement. Uh, officers.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, I mean, how do you fight that? How do you?
1: I, I shouldn't say law, actually. <laughs> right to, to
0: arbitrary, dictatorial order enforcers. Right. Yeah. You know,
1: what, you... what
0: do you do in the face of that?
1: Well, fortunately, I was, I was really shocked. Actually, I didn't expect um, the Supreme Court. Actually, I didn't even know about the case until I heard that. Well, the, the Supreme Court. You know, this morning I was scrolling through a newsfeed or something, I saw the Supreme Court of Michigan over, overturns and I was just like, what? That can't be right. Yeah, I, it's funny how I was those, really those... In disbelief. So it was kind of a, a a very pleasant surprise when that happened.
0: Yeah, but it's interesting how those cases don't really make it into the headlines, you know, until the until they have to. But you know, there's actually there are actually quite a few of those um you know newsom is being sued um there's a number of of cases like that going on but we don't hear about them
1: no so far i haven't yet read about it in the new york times
0: (laughs) right right
1: which it's pretty big news you'd think it'd be like headlines like in every single newspaper you know for weeks (gasps) Mm -hmm. on end because it's a pretty big story but um, no i I mean i read it in like local news report (laughs) you know some some station in, in detroit or someplace you know some radio station and they had a website and it was like an article about it or something. I mean, it was, I haven't read about it yet in a mainstream source.
0: I th- and, and, I think and I... So I
1: just went and I looked up the court case and that's why I just read the, the actual yeah. documents. So that's how I know about it. But, um, yeah, I haven't actually seen news about it.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I, I saw something, but it was because I was looking for, I was looking for stories like that for something. Um, yeah. But yeah, you don't if you're not, and I think that's, I think that's what the media counts on is that most people are sort of, you know, either, most people are not focused on a thing that they're researching. Most I think most people tend to sort of take in what they're given and that's what the media is counting on is that you're just going to be this sort of passive vessel for whatever yeah. they yeah. give you. And, you know, then there are a few of us who are act- actively seeking out information. And then, and that's why it's, it's such a contrast between the people who really are seeking out information pretty quickly realize what's going on. And it's the ones who are kind of, who are just passively taking in whatever they're given that think we're crazy.
1: Right. You know, and that brings up a point about the need for just um, news consumers to become smarter and, and uh, not to su- suggest that people are not intelligent or something, but it, it just in it, There's skills. I mean, it it is a skill. skill. It requires skill to be able to like assess sources, to be able to like uh, determine whether a source source is credible or or whether a story being reported by a source is credible. To be able to not just like turn to like one source for your information, but to get your information from from a variety of different sources, different perspectives. You know, not just Fox News, not just CNN. Watch. CNN and Fox News and right. New York And Times recognize and, conflicts and of and interest. The BBC and Guardian and just get information from from all kinds of different sources and then be able yeah. to, to kind of like do this um, synthesis of information and be able to determine what's true or not based on you know, what, like what's uncontroversial, <laughs> like what, you know, no matter what the perspectives are, there are certain things that are uncontroversial that both sides agree on. And so you can determine that those things are true and factual and, and, and undisputed. And, um, and then you turn to the controversial points and, and just try to um, determine uh, you know what is the truth, and, and who is telling the truth, or maybe both sides are wrong, or or uh, or there's some way to reconcile the differences, or something. Um, and so the, it's an acquired skill. I mean, it, it's yeah. something that if you if and it's you do not what a skill do, that
0: it's not a skill that that certainly government schools teach. It's
1: right, and that's the problem. And so you know, that's one thing I really try to do with my my writings is not just like give people information, but I, I almost um, kind of walk my readers through how I thought about it, like how I was, mm-hmm. it was that I found this evidence trail or where I asked these questions when I was reading a source. And I really kind of almost try to train my readers into how to be a, a, a you know, just a, a, a news consumer who isn't going to be fooled when, when they read reports because they'll be able to see the tactics that are used.
0: Mm-hmm. In mm-hmm.
1: Things that the mainstream media use. And so I'm, I'm almost kind of like teaching um, about how to be a good uh, a news consumer that is able to do those things. And so that's something I really actually consciously focus on with my writings is because uh, there's a real need for that. I mean, there's a need yeah, for the, the average news consumer to to just be able to consume information, especially in the limited amount of time that people have. People don't have time to do research projects.
0: Right. And there's and we're all suffering from information overload. I mean,
1: yeah. <laughs> in the things
0: I'm interested in, it's like I'm just overwhelmed by all the stuff I've got to get through. So yeah, yeah it's, it's a real it's,
1: challenge um, yeah. for everyone. And so that's, you know, and, and, and as journalists, I, I think you know, we need to do a better job of just being able to really communicate uh, all this information in, in, in ways that make it easily consumable for people on their busy schedules to be able to get the information that they really need Yeah, um, in a way that's really credible. You know, like when i write, i try to like provide sources and people don't have to take my word for anything and yeah. they can go check my sources. Uh, and, you know but just as journalists i think we we can really step up the game especially with the tools and technology we have available today um to really challenge the business model of the mainstream well and that's that's yeah. what i
0: was going to say is you know right now there's this huge opportunity for independent journalists because the mainstream they're not doing it they're not doing journalism okay. and so if there if in fact there is a market for real journalism you know there is a market. It might be very tiny. Um, I'd, I'd like, you know, I'd like to think it's bigger than it than it looks than it looks to be. Um, but whatever that market is, there's a huge opportunity because the people who have who have occupied that position for so long, it's so clear now that they're not doing that job. So, you know, for for people like you and me, and especially I would say people, you know, young people coming up who want to be journalists, this is a huge opportunity if you've got the time and you know can, can focus on something, you know, it's a huge opportunity for, for some people to make their careers really. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I
1: think so. And of course the struggle there is, is how do you actually make it as an, how do you maintain your independence Yeah, and actually be able to make a living from it? Um, yeah. Which is a yeah. Challenge. yeah. Um, but you know, you don't have to, I mean, I, when I got started, I, I just tried to do as much as I could. I mean, I was working a job and and in my spare time I would start writing articles and, and do what I can eventually, uh, now I'm doing this kind of full time, um, but uh, you know, s- start someplace and, and just educating yourself uh, and just sharing the knowledge. I mean, we can all be citizen journalists. I mean, we don't have yeah. to have any special training. It's just right. all you have to do is be able to think critically and and you know have an open mind and and um, and just have a passion about a, a topic. Um, and you just, you, you learn things and you just share the knowledge with others. And we all need to be doing that. I mean, it's not like a special function of certain people in society. Like that's what we all need to do. Right. Right. Yeah. Right. Really important.
0: Any parting thoughts? Um,
1: I just reemphasize the need for, you know, everyone to take action and just do something to, to fight this, you know, whether it's just, just resisting or, you know, exercising civil disobedience or sharing information with your friends and family and getting on social media and just being active and fighting the authoritarian uh, policies and, and the move towards increasing authoritarianism And, and within mind with the end game, end game in mind, of the lockdown measures, which is mass vaccination from the very right. start. I mean, in right. Imperial College, yep. their mid-March report—that's what they talked about. We need to maintain these lockdown measures until, until the everyone's. Yeah, that's what's yep. coming, and so, and of course, along with that will be mandates.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There's
1: already lots of talk about and you that. don't get
0: your life back until until yep. you. So it's not drugs. over yet.
1: There's a lot more yeah. threat coming down the road, and it's not just about masks. It's not just about people losing their jobs. There's, o- there's other additional threats yeah. that are just on the horizon, uh, but they're, they're looming, and uh, we need to be we need to be fighting, and we need to be prepared. Um, and so you need to be able to know what the propaganda talking points are and how to answer them. And then how to, mm-hmm. how to, re- how do you respond to people? For example, when they talk about Sweden, uh, mm-hmm. and they say, Oh, well, but Sweden had a higher death per capita than, than its neighbors. And that's, well, that's because Sweden for one is more like a, is, is kind of more has more in common with a country like the United Kingdom and things, uh, other countries where it has a, a lower death per capita than the UK. Yeah. Where, where it lockdown, uh, was and, also, the other the fact, the thing to point out when you hear that argument is, is well, you know, the, the big problem in Sweden was again the deaths in the nursing nursing care homes, um, mm-hmm. which had nothing to do with not locking down, as demonstrated by the fact that again, in in U.S. states, in many U.S. states that locked down, they had the same phenomenon of of yeah. massive deaths in nursing care homes, so it had nothing to do with not locking down. And of course, they want you to believe that that was you know because because they didn't lock down and that's why they had that that outcome uh, which isn't the case so uh you know just being aware of what these talking points are and how to answer them and and just knowing what the facts are and uh so it it does take diligence and you can't just be a passive news consumer like we all have to be a a more active news consumer and it does take a bit more time but you know as you kind of develop the skill it it becomes easier um to do and it's just critical
0: right now it's so it's so critical yep Thanks so much for coming on. Um, yeah. I'll definitely have you back on again. And um, yeah, stay, stay sane.
1: Yes. <laughs> it's not easy at these times, but I'm yeah. doing my best.
0: Yeah. It's a lot of All craziness.
1: Right. Yeah. Thanks again for uh, having me on. It's always
0: a pleasure. Yeah. I'll, I'll talk to you soon. All right. Good. Okay. Bye.